We currently are in a series on evangelism. So with that, uh, we've been inviting people to come up and just share their faith, their story as they want to share it. And uh, today we have Luke coming and sharing his faith. So Luke, come on up and uh, tell, us, uh, tell us your story. Good morning. Uh, as Joe mentioned, my name is Luke. If you haven't seen me out here, I'm probably back there in uh, City Kids working with them and serving. I bring some fresh vegetables every week, minus this week. I was puppy sitting. So fresh tomatoes will be ready in about two weeks. Just They're ripening. There you go. So here's my story uh, with just basically me and Jesus. So I grew up in a loving home. It was filled with Christianity, filled with lots of church events. We were basically heavily evolved, involved with the church as much as possible, um, in and out, basically throughout my entire life, all the way through up high school and discipleships, youth groups, friends. Uh, so fast forward to seventh grade, I accepted Christ for the first time at this thing called Ichthus. I'm not sure if many of the older folk, yeah, it's, it's not really a thing anymore, but uh, it's a big Christian music festival. There's like 111 bands. It was four days. It was awesome. It was my heavy metal punk stage. I'm still in it. It's, it's a phase. Don't worry. <laughs> and so in the last day, we, I got to accept Christ. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm not really sure what it truly meant yet. So fast forward, we're going through high school, youth groups, discipleship groups. My friends are kind of dropping away from the Jesus crowd one by one. So I come up to college. I end up going to Ohio University for aviation flight and I was recruited to wrestle. So I'm a pilot, and I've been wrestling for 17 years. Just a little background knowledge for the story. Uh, so we get to college freshman year. It was tough. It did not go as I would hope. I was getting my butt kicked at practice a lot, being one of the top guys in the state of Ohio at my weight class, and then coming into a room and struggling to get a takedown. It crushed you quite a bit, as well as flight. I came to a new flight school from my previous one in the summer prior coming to college, and it just wasn't working out. I didn't have very good luck with weather maintenance with airplanes it's you kind of those are pretty important if you ever fly in the airplanes on the airlines you get delays that's the reason so yeah i never had the best luck with that i was very frustrated and angry all the time i ended up just being consumed by my anger and rage and it was basically blinding me from a lot of things i didn't have a community i didn't go to church that was probably the farthest or the longest time i've ever been without going to church or Bible study or anything. So coming into that freshman year in the summer, I did a lot of stupid and dumb things I've never done before. Um, Can you imagine all the, the, a big party school like OU and doing all those dumb things an 18 or 19 year old dude, I did that for the very first time. Not my thing at all coming from where I came from with my background. And I was just, I didn't care. I was so mad about everything. I was so angry. It didn't even phase me. It's not like I had to do it. I wasn't addicted to anything. It was just I didn't care. I was washing dishes. I was sharing one room with my teammate because we couldn't have a house then. On an air matches, I was overflown or overinflated, and it was just not a good summer. I was mad. Everything was, my workouts started going good because I started beating the crap out of guys, taking out anger and whatnot. Probably not the best idea. <laughs> Coming up to sophomore year, I went to this thing called Athletes in Action. It's a ministry built around athletes. We use our athletic abilities, our, our sport, to use a platform to then uh, share Jesus and share love with other athletes and other people. So I met with my, or one of the adult leaders who spoke on purpose, um, which basically was like a wake-up call uh, one, one night that we had our service. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been screaming at God about and trying to figure out why I'm even at Ohio University So I didn't feel like I had a purpose there. Uh, we started meeting. He asked me to go to this mission trip in Puerto Rico they do every year. This is their second year doing it. And I was like, sure, I've never been to Puerto Rico before, never been on a mission trip yet. Let's do it. And he was like, well, you got to ask your coach tomorrow because you leave in two and a half weeks, and you got to raise support. So the I had to ask my big, very large uh, wrestle, head wrestling coach, probably the scariest person I've ever met in my entire life. He's just a big black bear. Imagine the biggest person you know, and then that is mobile and able to wrestle and crush you in one hand. That's Coach Greenlee. Uh, so very scary. I had to ask him. He knew my uh, leader pretty well, and it, we were on spring break. I wasn't in the lineup at the time, and so I was able to go. I raised the support in about a week and a half. I had over my amount of support. I was able to help another girl basically go on a trip because my Friends and family helped me out so much for the sport. It was unbelievable how it all came together. Anyway, so we're coming to Puerto Rico. Our first day is coming into the rainforest, kind of our fun day before we get started and going to campus and UPR and whatnot. Uh, and so it's like three miles up, three miles down. Ohio Silver, Band of Brothers. No, it's over here. And uh, so we're coming down to the rainforest, not thinking it's a rainforest. It starts to rain just unbelievably hard. And Forrest Gump, 
big old fat rain sideways, upways. It was rain. It was just being pelted, and it hurt a lot. And uh, you're in this single file, narrow line. It was muddy. You're downhill. And at one moment, I just started laughing and smiling for whatever. I couldn't even control it. And my friend Leah, she turned around and looks at me. What is this moron laughing at? We're getting rained on, and it's just storming here. And he's laughing. Like, we're all miserable, and he's just laughing. And Psalm 19, it talks about God's creation speaks to us. And in that moment, it did. He did. Uh, I felt this overwhelming peace and joy and all that anger and rage that was in me and I've never felt before. It just left. And for the rest of the week, God showed up big time. He gave us, or he allowed me opportunities to go meet with the wrestling team we weren't supposed to meet up with. I met the coach and a wrestler the next day at the weight room, like 6.30 in the morning. They invited me to practice. I wrestled with a Puerto Rican wrestling team for an entire week not even like i told my coach i wasn't gonna able to wrestle i was just gonna run and do all the stuff i ended up i was like hey man i ended up doing all the workouts he said i was gonna do so that was cool we ended up meeting a bunch of soccer players all the students at track and field it was just amazing how god turned out all the things that i learned when i was little finally made sense i was supposed to be here to share my love share my passion for jesus and show them what he can do for them. Coming back to Ohio University, that was my purpose all along that he had set out for me. And it was amazing to be able to minister my team, or at least try to, the bit wild bunch for the wrestlers. And uh, that's my testimony. If you have any questions, I have lots of Puerto Rico stories as well as uh, airplane stories. So over to ask. Thanks. Thank you, Luke. Uh, on the screen is Luke's email address. We put that up there so that if you were, you know, you want to connect with him or thank him or, or, or whatever, you can reach out to him. And, and, and if you didn't catch it on the screen, you can always mark it on your Connect card and we'll get you connected with Luke. So thanks for sharing that. If you want to share your story, we'll be uh, continuing to do this uh, throughout the rest of this year. Well, hopefully just con- going forward, giving people a place to sh- take four to five minutes to share their face story. So appreciate that. Uh, we have a, uh, just a special treat this morning to, to add to our service. Uh, and um, uh, some of you know uh, our church is a church plant out of a church in Athens and a few people have ties there. Uh, Luke shared how he, he was a part of that community there and went to OU and a few others in the room. It comes up in conversation occasionally. Uh, we have some guests here from our, our family in Athens. Uh, they, they visited and uh, Greta uh, is here and, and I was a part of Greta's life at a very significant, there was a significant moment that happened that was pretty crazy and when Greta emailed me and said she's going to visit, asked if she could share that story and I, uh, you know, I'm not going to say no. So, there you guys go. You know, you know how I feel about people sharing their faith story. So Greta's going to share a little bit of her story uh, before we get into our message. So two testimonies today, praise God, and uh, here you go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Joe is, uh, came to pray for me. Uh, was one of the people from our church. So uh, this started, um, well, about three years ago in August, and I had stomach trouble again. And, you know, I kept thinking, oh, when I'd get stomach trouble, I'd think, oh, it's uh, food poisoning. I even called the restaurant one time, (laughs) but it wasn't. I didn't know it. Um, And then I'd think it was, you know, stomach flu, this and that. So um, I had been feeling bad after dinner, and, like, I ate too much again. And um, I got it really bad one night, and I thought, oh, I might have to go to the emergency room. And I, I, the next day, I didn't, I didn't, but the next day, I told my husband, he said, well, you know, you better go to the doctor, so I called the doctor and told him, you know, that I need to come in and right away, and, and he checked me over, and he's an osteopath, and he palpated my stomach and figured out it was something in here, and he sent me for imaging. And they saw it was my gallbladder, right? So they said, he said, emergency. You've got to go to the hospital today. Pick a hospital, right? So I went home, and I'm thinking, hospital? I don't like to go to the hospital. And he called me uh, several times that day. He's a great doctor. Said, did you pick your hospital yet? (laughs) So I did, and um, away I went. And he had uh, sent the imaging in, and and they uh, took me in for gallbladder surgery. And the surgeon said, "Well, this is a simple thing, you know. It's two, three little holes, I think they said." And uh, that was not how it turned out. So my husband sat in the waiting room for seven hours. 
I went in at six o'clock, didn't come back out till one because they ran into trouble inside. And so I uh, was recovering from the surgery, but I had a, um, two bags on me. They put these bags on you to drain body fluids, you know, and the one was good. It was bringing out blood and stuff, and the other one was bringing out bile, which you don't want in your body, and my doctor was very upset about it, so I had three more surgical procedures, which means that you take a lot of, um, you know, you can't eat because you're always going in for surgery. And I was in the hospital nine days. I think I had one meal. I was starving. <laughs> and finally, they couldn't fix it. So there's a bag still on there. And they said, go home and pick another hospital. You know, we're like at the end of what we can do for you. So just go home and pick Cleveland Clinic or up in Columbus. There's a good one over there at uh, Ohio State. And I didn't want to pick another hospital. I didn't. Because all the time I was in the hospital, I was singing this song. And I'm going to show you just the chorus. I'm going to sing for you. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Well, he may not come when you want him to, but he'll get there just in time. Because he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And that kept going through my mind, and I just was trusting. I just was trusting. I've loved the Lord for many years, probably 50 and I've been a lot of places and seen a lot of things, and God has touched me, and I was just waiting on him. So I remembered James. In James, um, it's the fifth chapter, and it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Here's the good part. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So I called the church. And I said, I need the elders to come. And our a pastor that's been there a long time wasn't, he was on sabbatical. And I talked to Joe. And, you know, we really didn't have elders at that church. And I said, well, the Bible says you have elders. You better get them and get them here. <laughs> <laughs> so I waited a few days. And they um, got themselves together. And they came out. And... Um, you know, I looked pretty well, but I still had this bag that was hanging on me that kept filling up like every two and a half hours. I had to empty this thing because that bowel was, can't stay in your body. And so they prayed for me. They anointed me with oil. And they brought a, a scripture that came right out of the Psalms and the chapter that Mark was reading, my husband was reading, when that gave him strength while I was in the operating room. And they came from the other, I go to another little church too, I go to a on fire little <laughs> spirit filled church, it's kind of like this one, <laughs> on Sunday night. And I want to tell you that after Joe and his group and the other group came. The Lord touched me that night. And when the Lord touched me, it's just like that. It's like something. <laughs> but I know what that is because he's touched me before, just maybe once before. It's a wonderful feeling. So I just started praising God. I knew he was going to heal me. I knew it. They prayed. He touched me. It's a thing. It's a done thing, right? 
Well, I had to keep emptying the bag. And about three, I don't even remember, it was three or four days, I was still doing it every two and a half hours, and my alarm clock went off in the night that I should get up and empty it, and it was empty, just like that. It was empty. And so the next morning we called the doctor, and he said, oh, no, something shouldn't happen that fast. Come right in. So we went right in, and they did more imaging, and it was all better. It's all better. You know, God did it. And my husband said, my goodness, how can he do that? And I said, well, he made us. He knows about that. <laughs> so what they couldn't do, he did. And thank you, Joe. Thank you. You know, we, uh, we're just deciding to get into the habit of, of, of sharing our stories. And every story is different. And um, it's, it's so great to, to hear, um, hear that one. And I know um, it's amazing. And we praise God for the way that God works. Um, and God works in mysterious ways. We can't always make sense of it. But uh, uh, I was thankful to be a part of that. We, what, what's interesting is sometime after that story, uh, we, we were living in Athens. We were starting to come to Columbus and beginning the work to, to plant this church. And one of the things we had to decide in partnership with our denomination was where we were to plant. And uh, we were wrestling with that. Grandview was on the, 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 the map uh, as an option. There were a few other places as well. And we were kind of wrestling and just like, I don't know. And it's kind of a big decision. And we, we didn't know, I didn't know Columbus well. I didn't know Grandview well and all this sort of stuff. And uh, sometime after that, that Greta, uh, you actually emailed me and you said, I, and she didn't know we were having this discussion. And she didn't know what was we were considering. And wasn't it you who emailed me and said, I used to live or my family lives in Grandview and I think Grandview would be a great place to plant a church? And after, I was like, and it was, you know, we had participated in that kind of crazy story, and then she emails me there, and I was like, all right, I guess it's Grandview, you know. So I don't know if you knew that part of the story or not, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a moment. It was part of the discernment process here, so come full circle. But every story is different, and God is mysterious, and we just give thanks when God works in mysterious ways. We are in a series on evangelism we're going to spend some time with today. I want to start with a quote, and um, uh, a simple quote uh, that kind of captures some of the heart of what I want to talk about today. It's simply this. I read it this week. It's something we've already talked about. But it says, evangelism is how we love the world as God does, but conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. Michelle D. Jones said that in a book called Reviving Evangelism. Evangelism is how we love the world as God does, but conversion is a work of of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hold on to that today because we're going we're gonna to get it. We're going to wander into the weeds a little bit. Hopefully, I don't lose you in the weeds, but if we're going to wander a little bit. We're going to spend some time. We're going to wrestle with some, I think, some hard things, um, but hold on to that quote as we do. I recently ran into a post on Facebook. Now, most posts on Facebook I don't think are necessarily worthy of our time here on church, um, but I did run into one that I feel like I did want to share. In fact, when I first read it, um, it was one of these posts that just like, ah, kind of frustrated me, kind of was annoying, but also kind of like uh, uh, felt a little gross, but also like this is a really interesting thing and challenged me. But of all of it, I walked away and said, I've got to share that during our evangelism series. So friends, this is, I'm going to share it with you. It starts by a question. It's a question that was posted to a website called Quora. You can post questions. This is the question that somebody asked. I have no idea if this is a real question, if someone made this up. This is just a screenshot on Facebook, people, but just stick with me. Uh, this is the question they asked. So why do people get angry when I try to share the word of God with them? I only do it because I care about them deeply and I don't want them to end up in hell. I feel like some people avoid me because of this. Is there any way to get through to them? If you've been with us any amount of time, you, we could play a game where you're like, name the red flag. You know, um, even if you haven't been with us, I wonder if there's something on here. Maybe, maybe you see that question you're like, yeah, that's the question I have. Okay, that's fine. There's other people here I know who are like, that's the wrong question. Um, and there's something about that question that feels, I don't know, I, um, something that feels icky or uncomfortable with it. Well, if you're uncomfortable with this, wait till you hear the response someone gives. Someone gives a response. And the response they give, I don't know if this person's a Christian. I don't know if this person's a person of faith. Uh, I think they could certainly say these things and still be a Christian. Um, I'm guessing they probably aren't, though. But the response has some really interesting thoughts. 
I'm going to read it. Not all of it, but most of it. And it's a very long response. Think Reddit. Okay, here's what he says, or she. Um, the entire process, answering the question that was just posed, the entire process is not what you think it is. It is specifically it being evangelism. That's what they're talking about, what it means to talk to people who aren't Christians about becoming a Christian. It is specifically designed to be uncomfortable for the other person because it isn't about converting them to your religion. It is about manipulating you so you can't leave yours. If this tactic was about converting people, it would be considered a horrible failure. It recruits almost no one who isn't already willing to join. Bake sales are more effective recruiting tools. On the other hand, it is extremely effective at creating a deep tribal feeling among, it, among its own members. Stay with me here. The rejection they receive is actually more important than the few people they convert. It causes them to feel a level of discomfort around the people they attempt to talk to. These become the others. These uncomfortable feelings go away when they come to their congregation, the tribe. If you take a good look at the process, it becomes fairly clear. In most cases, the religious person starts out from their own group, who is encouraging and supportive. They're then sent out into the harsh world where people repeatedly reject them, mainly because they're trained to be so annoying. These brave witnesses then return from the cruel world to their congregation where they are treated like returning heroes. They are now safe. They bond as they share their experience of reaching out to the godless people to bring them the truth, and they share the otherness they experience. Once again, they will learn that the only place they are accepted is with the people who think as they do. It isn't safe to leave the group. The world is your enemy, but we love you. This is a pain-reward cycle that is a common brainwashing technique. The participants become more and more reliant on the tribe because they know that others reject them. Ooh. They didn't know you're showing up to a college class today. This is a fairly uh, heavy, interesting, I think something worth pondering. Let's sit with that for a second. It's a lot to think about. I read this maybe a month or two ago, and uh, I've been thinking about it off and on and a lot more this week when I knew I was going to share it with you. First off, let me just say thank you for allowing us to be a church where we can just put something that up on the screen and wrestle with it, right? Um, I thought about it a lot this week, and I realized that this actually happens a lot. It actually happens a lot. It happens, I think it's one of the things that turned me off to evangelism in my early years. There was something about evangelism. I started evangelism with this desire to reach people who weren't Christians, but then I found the way in which I was engaging it, it actually made me feel more and more ostracized from people who weren't Christians, which seemed counterproductive to evangelism, right? Which, just like with that said, that's like, that feels the opposite of what I'm trying to accomplish here. How can I, if I, the way I'm engaging it actually makes me feel more and more separated from the people I'm trying to reach, that doesn't seem good. But I actually see this happening in a lot of different ways beyond just evangelism, what we call sharing our faith with people who aren't a part of our faith. It happens in the political world and our, you know, our religious worlds and our denominations and our left and right. I mean, this happens significantly. In fact, one of the things that I think binds people together the most, and this is what this post is, I think, ultimately saying is one of the things that binds people together the most is a shared enemy. If you feel like there's a group of people that reject you and we're all being rejected by the same group of people, there's a sort of like, a, there's a good feeling there. And it creates a very, in, very intense sense of community. And it happens in a lot of different places. It's what fuels the right. It's what fuels the left. It's what fueled, you know, a lot of World War II, the sort of unity that, we've, that you see portrayed in stories. It was a common enemy. Nazis, Hitler, you know, like, you look at a significant move, and oftentimes, most often, you can name a particular enemy that we all sort of feel like we're either being rejected by or we disagree with, and I see this play out over and over again in our lives, but here's my problem with it. I think it's natural. I think it's human, but then Jesus comes along, and Jesus teaches us a very different principle. Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, okay? Okay. Well, how do we do that? And what does that do for building community? It's almost like Jesus is like the one, the easiest way to sort of feel close to someone is to agree together that you hate a particular other person. 
But Jesus is like, no, you're not going to feel close together that way anymore. Not allowed to build community around a common hatred or a common rejection or a common love your enemies. My hope is that as we've spent a number of weeks, and we're going to spend a little bit next week as we transition towards our headline series, talking about evangelism, trying to reclaim it, relearn it, reimagine it, go back to what what God really wants with it, but also do it in a way that's very relevant given the culture that we currently live in and our city and our friends and our coworkers. As we begin to reimagine and reclaim evangelism, my hope is, is that it's not what we saw there. That the way in which we do it is actually building relationships with people we're trying to reach. That the way in which we're doing it, regardless of whether conversion happens, right? Because that's the linchpin. If conversion is the goal, someone doesn't accept, done, move on. But if evangelism is the goal, which is just a simple sharing of God's love, grace, truth, you know, then you can continue in a relationship. That's what I want to talk about today. We, we put out a survey earlier this year. We asked people to share with us the topics that they'd be interested in. Um, a lot of people talked about these local issues. That's why we're doing a series on it, it's because people named this in the survey. If you didn't fill out the survey, check the next one, because it guides our conversation significantly. But people asked for that. People also put a lot of posts in there around evangelism, questions around what it means to share your faith in today's a lot of questions. It's just why we're doing a six-week study on evangelism, because people asked for it. I don't know if it was you, but somebody. I posted it on Facebook. It could be people who don't even go to church here. And for that, I am sorry. But somebody said they wanted to hear about evangelism. And one of the things really struck me, and it's the, sort of the focus of the series uh, for this particular sermon, um, that one of the questions was, what questions do you have about faith, life, or the Bible? And this is what someone wrote, word for word. I didn't edit it. It just they said how to balance honoring others' stories and beliefs while spreading the gospel. And I like that because I feel like what they're asking is how do I do this evangelism thing without doing what we just read in that Quora post? How do I how do I do this sharing of this good thing, this evangelism, this good news? You know, how do I actually do this? But in a way that's respecting and honoring people who aren't interested. So I'm going to frame this just a little bit. The easiest way to share your faith is with somebody who wants, who wants it. It is, is with somebody who's asking for it. This is one of the first passages we looked at. It's a story of Philip the evangelist. He becomes known as being the evangelist. But if you look at the story, he's sharing it with someone who was literally asking for it. It's, it's this Ethiopian eunuch. You can read the story in the book of Acts. But the eunuch was reading the Bible already. He had questions. He wanted to belong to the people of God. And he shared his faith and he evangelized him, but he was asking for it. He wanted it. That's the easiest way. The question we want to wrestle with today is, Is it appropriate? Can it be appropriate? Is there a way to respectfully share your faith with somebody who has no interest? You know, they're not asking for it. Maybe they already know what the gospel, you know, what does it look like? Someone who believes something different, maybe they're atheist, agnostic, post-evangelical. And is it appropriate? Can it be respectfully done to share your faith with someone who isn't already interested? And I think this is a relevant question because if I was to ask you, how many of you uh, have someone in your life right now who isn't particularly interested in the Christian faith um, and you, you want to maintain a relationship with them, you don't want your faith to become a barrier for your relationship with them, um, I would imagine, I would hope that most of you have someone in your life that isn't a Christian but also isn't really interested in becoming one. So what does it look like to share your faith with them? That's specifically the conversation I'm going to have today. I'm going to offer, I hate these kind of sermons, like six ways to better your life. I'm going to offer six ways to, uh, to do this, and they're going to kind of build on each other. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to start very simple. Uh, people, you know, sometimes I talk and I just like dumb things down, and I'm doing that for me because that's what makes sense to me. So I'm going to, we're going to dumb this down for me, and hopefully it's helpful to you as well. We're going to talk about six things. We're going to build on them. And what I want you to wrestle with as we walk through these is ask yourself, where would you draw the line? We're going to start really simple, where I think most people can agree and say, that's a good place to start. Maybe you won't, but I think most of us would say that's a good place to start. And we're going to kind of build on it. It's going to become more complicated. It's going to require a little bit more nuance and a little bit more risk. And as we build on that, I want you to check in within yourself. Where would you say, okay, I'm out. I'm, that gets a little too far for me. Because here's the thing. There's people in this room that are like, they're already at number six. They're like, in fact, they've probably left the other five behind, like, which is not a good thing. Once we get into it, you'll see. 
But then there's others who are going to draw a line really early on in this process. I would say it's probably one of the greatest diversity in our community and in the Christian faith is around this issue that we're talking about, evangelism. What does it mean to talk about, to share your faith with other people who don't believe the same thing and who aren't particularly interested in becoming like you? How much should you want them to become like you? It's a huge, it's one of the big diversity points in our community and I think in the American Christian church. Okay, so I want you to wrestle with that wherever you're at. We're going to walk through them. Here's the first one, very simple. Um, some of these we've talked about in the previous weeks. You're going to, it's going to feel a little redundant, but you know what? Repetition is good for the soul. The first one is this, a really simple, easy, non-threatening, very low-risk way to share your faith with someone who isn't interested in becoming a Christian is to share the fruit of your faith, to share the fruit of your faith. We read this uh, last week in Galatians. Uh, Galatians 5, to 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. Grace, through the Holy Spirit, is able to turn our hearts and make us more loving and more joyful and peaceful and kind and gentle. This is this is a super low risk. This is a great way to share your faith with people. Um, it's, it's hard to mess up. It's not impossible. You can be loving and kind and good to people in a really obnoxious way. Okay, I'm going to name that. It is possible. But generally speaking, if you're coming from a sincere place, and this is like a sincere, God is just, you know, like what Luke was sharing his story, like God has just changed. He's, that being what God has created you to be, allowing God to transform your heart and just being more loving and joyful to people. A, that is not an illegitimate way to share your faith with people. And it's, it's not only a great place to start, but if you haven't started there, that's where you need to start if you want to take evangelism seriously. It's just being loving, kind, generous. Now, once again, we've talked about this a lot. This is not the fruit of trying harder. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's just grace. It's just grace. You receive it. God gives it to you, and you live out of it. And it's a great way to share your faith because if you're the, living out of a supernatural level of love and humility and kindness, generally it turns heads and it creates conversation. It's a great way to share your faith. That's the, the starting point, number one. The second one is this. Share, uh, first, share the fruit of our faith, these fruits of the Spirit. Two, share the mission of our faith. People might not be interested in following Jesus. They might not even believe in God, but they might want to still uplift the homeless or provide basic needs to people living in poverty. You don't, and you don't have to be a person of faith to be good at helping other people. You don't have to believe the same thing as me to be really good at helping other people. We looked at this passage uh, in a series already, once again, sort of revisiting a passage we sat with. Uh, Baron uh, uh, shared with us the art of neighboring, and one of the passages he looked at was the story of the Good Samaritan. Baron's in the back, that's why I gestured. Hey, Baron. And uh, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, and ultimately, the message of the Good Samaritan is this kind of principle. It's, it's a story. Jesus runs into this Jewish person who's a religious ruler, he, he's, and, and, and he... He's in the community of faith. This guy's in the family, all right? He's in the club. The Jewish tribe, that's his tribe. That's his people. And he goes up to Jesus and says, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers that question by telling the story. Many of you know this story. We're going to just revisit very briefly. He says, there's this guy, Jewish guy. He's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets attacked by robbers. He gets beat up. He gets left to die. Three people pass by. First one, priest, Jewish leader. I mean, this is somebody who's not only in the club, in the tribe, in the family of God, but a leader in that family, right? Walks by, doesn't do anything. You know the story. Second guy, another religious ruler, another guy in the family, in the family of God, part of the tribe, leader of that tribe, the Jewish people, people of God, walks by. Then you got the Samaritan. Here's the thing about Samaritans. Weird religion. I'm not trying to knock Samaritans, but it's, it's, the Jewish people did not, they were not a big fan of the Samaritans. And you could almost justify it because they were a little off. 
They're still around. We think of Samaritans and we're like, Good Samaritan. Like, we name our organizations and our ministries after the Good Samaritan. If you look up the real Samaritans who are still alive today, strange people. A lot of inbreeding. Um, they're like hiring Russian wives now to, to get some diversity in their gene. I'm not bashing them. I'm just saying that the Jewish people looked down on them. They were a little off, a little weird. Okay, that was the Samaritan. We think really highly of them because Jesus loved them. But it's not because Jesus loved them and looked, thought highly of them because they were the coolest people in the world. They were a little, they were a cult, religious cult that sort of sprouted out from Judaism. Okay, they're a little different. And the Samaritan, though, this little different kind of guy stops, picks the guy off the ground, takes care of him, takes him down the street, puts him in a hotel, pays for all of it. This is the question I think Jesus wants to ask us with this parable. If you're going to start a ministry where you help people who've been beaten and robbed on the side of the street, do you hire the, the, the guy who's in your people, of, the people, of, you know, he's the, he's the priest, he's part of the family of God, he's in the tribe? Do you hire the other religious ruler that's in the tribe? Or do you hire the strange little Samaritan? Who do you hire? Samaritan. It's this idea that you don't have to be a part of our faith to be really good at accomplishing God's mission. That's number two. We do a lot of community development work, and many of our partners are not, they don't agree with us. Some of them, some of them might be Christian organizations that look at the world and God a little differently. Some of them aren't Christian organizations at all, and some of them belong to other religions and members of our free store. Christians shouldn't have a monopoly. This is something I'm very passionate about. I haven't picked up on this. Christians shouldn't have a monopoly on doing good. And I believe one of the great ways we can do evangelism in our world today is go serve alongside someone who isn't a Christian. It creates honest conversation and honest opportunities to serve together. And I think it's pretty low risk. It's not super complicated. You're, just, you're doing good stuff together. That's number two. Number three, also I think low risk, but maybe a little bit more complicated, a little bit more nuanced we're going to build on, is simply this. Share the uniqueness and similarities of our faith mutually. So first, share the fruit of our faith. Second, share the mission of our faith. And third, talk about your faith, but mutually, which means you're listening as much as talking. There's nothing disrespectful about having an honest conversation with someone from another faith about what you believe, especially if you're interested in what they believe. That just makes it very easy, very low risk. And, and I would say that it's, even, it's a beautiful thing to have an on, just a good conversation with somebody who looks at the world differently. Now, the most useful thing here is a healthy dose of curiosity. One of the greatest ways you can love someone is to be curious. This is something that I'm, I'm learning. I mean, this, and this applies well beyond evangelism. This, this is like, if you're, if you're currently married or in a relationship, write this down. One of the best ways you can love someone is to be curious. Just be curious. It creates questions. It creates interest. It creates engagement. Be curious. I've pastored a number of different churches uh, before uh, here at Central City, and we've had people participate in our community. Uh, who weren't Christians. And they weren't interested in becoming Christians. They were participating for other reasons. It's uh, an interesting thing to me. I'll be honest with you. At first, um, I didn't know what to do with it, but we've had people who are atheists, agnostics. I think I had a Wiccan in our, my church once. I, I've had people who are Jewish, but not Messianic Jew. They were just uh, just Jewish. And um, not interested in becoming a Christian. They weren't coming to church to become a Christian. And early on, I wasn't sure what to do with that. I didn't know how to re respond to that. But I would say that my healthiest response and the greatest conversation I've had of that was just this honest curiosity, sitting down with them, having a conversation, saying, tell me, tell me about that. And then in that conversation, yeah, I'm talking about my faith. I'm not talking about it from a place of trying to convince them. That's not where we're at at this level. I'm just having a conversation for understanding. It's a legitimate and beautiful way to share your faith, and it creates really healthy relationships, and it's a good thing. Um, so that's, um, that's number three. Um, it, it, uh, number four, though, we take a, a shift. And this might be where some of us, I know this might sound strange to others in the room, but other, some of us will draw the line here. Number four is simply this. Uh, hope that they come to know Jesus. So first you share in the fruit, pretty easy. Share in the mission, you do good stuff together. Um, have 
mutual conversations about our uniqueness and similarities, what we believe, who we are. Number four is where there's a shift that happens where you are actually now, you actually want somebody who doesn't believe the way you are, isn't currently interested in it, to become a follower of Jesus. Paul said it like this in one of his letters. He said, um, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, this is Romans 10, 1 through 2, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, this, uh, this hope, this desire, this longing, and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, and, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. He says, man, these Israelites who aren't following Jesus currently, they would be fantastic followers of Jesus, and I would love for them, and I pray for them. I don't know if he's thinking about a particular group or, or all Israelites. I'm not sure what Paul has in mind here, but he has this desire, this longing that they might become followers of Jesus. We live in a culture of... Um, this is something that, that might be helpful. We're moving from a culture generationally. We're moving from a culture that was kind of guided around a guilt culture. I don't, if this doesn't make sense to you, we'll move on. But um, to a culture that's much more shame-driven. We're becoming much more like a shame culture. And so one of the, 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 the underlying desires, and this shows up in a lot of the studies they're doing around evangelism and some of the stuff we're talking about, some of the underlying desires, especially amongst younger people, is to just accept people for who they are. A high level of tolerance. Just accept people, and I think a big part of it, it's almost even a little taboo to want something for someone else that they're not interested in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that, there's something, and maybe not everyone in the room is connecting with that, but I'm getting some nods. There's some people that get it. Others are like, it's, I'm going to say this, this might offend some of you, but I think you'll find it funny. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mom thing to do. You know what I mean? Like maybe, I don't know if dads do this too, but moms are really good at it where you like, you want something for your kid, especially adult kids, and they have no interest in it. Um, I've seen, my mom's really good at this. I have to say that because she might listen to the podcast, but um, you know, I've seen it. It's like, you want something for someone, you really want it for them, they have no interest. It can become unhealthy. It can, it can color your motivation. It can turn somebody into a project. Have you seen this happen? And I'm saying with that, I'm saying, I don't know. I, I'm not on board with that. I've seen Christians engage in that kind of evangelism where they want it so bad that it just becomes this unhealthy and every person who isn't a Christian is like this project. And there's, I don't feel like that's Jesus. That's, that's me. I don't feel like that's Jesus. But I do think there is room to 100% accept someone for who they are, to respect them, and to still want them to know who Jesus is. I think if Jesus has made an impact on your life and it's, it's a, you know, you've experienced the gospel and God has changed your life, it's totally fine and healthy to want that for someone in a very, very healthy sort of way. I'm not saying you have to want that. That's between you and God. I'm just saying if you do, it actually could be really healthy just to name that. I would say that I, I want to want that at times that I think it's healthy and good for me as a pastor who've experienced Jesus um, to want other people to know this Jesus too. And I do. Here's one of the ways I, I feel like the healthiest way to do this is the same thing that Paul says. You take that desire and you turn it to prayer. I think if you take that desire and you put it to prayer, you're giving it to God, you're, you're, part of that is reminding you that it's not your job. You're not responsible for people's eternal destinations. It's not your job. It's not in your job description, friends. Give yourself a break. It's God's problem. You take that and you give it to God. When you put it to prayer, it no longer, it, it keeps it from becoming a project. But it's still okay to want it. And it's healthy to want it, which leads to number four, if you want it. If you're like, no, I do. I want this. I wish this person knew Jesus. The way that I've experienced Jesus, I wish this person knew Jesus. If you want that, um, I, number five, uh, would taking it to the next level, you share that hope. Now, you can see that this gets a little riskier. You know, you're like, now you're telling people what you would want for them. And this is, these are individuals that aren't interested in it, right? This isn't somebody who's seeking. Remember, that's what we're talking about. But you're telling them, you're like, no, Jesus has made a big difference in my life, and I, would, I just wish that you could know this Jesus as well. Telling someone you want them to follow Jesus, uh, I think if you, you can do that in a way that's still respectful. Um, because if you really do want to follow Jesus, it might be strange to withhold that information from them. I know a lot of people um, who are married, 
Um, uh, and one member of the family is a Christian, and the other member of the, the family isn't. And I've, I've thought of, a, there's a lot of examples. It's fairly common um, uh, today. And, and I, think, I can think of many examples where there was somebody in the family uh, who was a Christian and someone who wasn't, and not always, but sometimes, depending on who they are, where they're at, this person wants their spouse to know Jesus. Just does. And I'm not, saying that that's, I'm not saying that's not wrong. I'm not saying you have to want that. I'm just saying it's not wrong. What I am saying is that most of the time, those are healthy relationships when they're honest about it. And as I talk with these couples, they're honest about it. And the other spouse who might be an atheist, I'm thinking of even specific examples, an atheist, uh, a variety of experiences, usually they know. They've talked about it. Like, yeah, no, my spouse is kind of hoping, holding on hope that I'll become a Christian someday. And they seem fine about it, and I think part of it is because they're being honest. I would say that today that most people have uh, nothing but respect for someone who is sincere about their motives. That's what we're talking about. Being sincere and upfront about your motives, about where you're coming from, this is a good thing. It's a healthy thing, and you should be willing to do that. That's number five. Number six then goes a little bit further. Number six, and I think this is where we, we often just start when we think about evangelism, but I'm thinking this is like six steps down the road, is this. Share your faith, but with the sincere hope that they might be convinced. So this is a little bit different conversation than number three. It's a little bit different than just telling someone, I really, you know, I'm kind of hoping someday that you'll, you'll come to know Jesus. That's pretty low key. It's a little risky. It's very vulnerable, but it's not, it's not confrontational. You're not having a long discussion about what you believe with the hopes that they might become convinced. But I think there's place and there's room to have a respectful, honest conversation with somebody. But I would say this is probably one of the riskiest types of conversation you can have. And I would say it's so risky, many of us are going to try to avoid their whole life having this kind of conversation. And this, this applies beyond just sharing your faith with people. This has to do with differences in politics or differences in theology. I would say actually most of my experiences over the last year in this kind of conversation, when you're talking to someone, you really hope they will change their mind. Have you had a conversation like that? It's, it's kind of a tricky conversation, isn't it? One of the things I've learned most, if I'm really, I was talking with a really close friend uh, earlier this year. It's, these are the type of conversations, too, that, that go to like three in the morning. You know what I'm saying? This isn't like a random stranger on the street kind of conversation. But I'm like, I'm hoping, sincerely hoping that the, this friend that I'm talking to will change the way they look at the world, the way they look at the, even the people I currently serve with, uh, people who are living in the margins. That was the issue we were discussing, in part. And one of the things I find most helpful in that conversation is, one, I'm, I'm tr- I, want, I wish I could convince them, but actually the most helpful thing is to let go of that desire to convince them. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Let go of that sense of control. Let go of that sense of like, I just got to change their mind. I find that we're really terrible at changing people's mind when you try to change people's minds. This is a hard conversation, whatever the issue might be, whether you're talking to somebody who's of another faith and you're at that place in the relationship where you can have, and maybe they're doing, the, you, you, I would say that if you're going to have that kind of conversation with someone who's from another faith, you should better give them plenty of room to do the same for you, okay? That's only respectful. So now you're, you're creating space for, you know, but it's, it's heavy, it's serious, but I will say this, I think our world would be a better place if we took the amount of time it takes to have these kinds of conversations. I don't think every conversation needs to be like this. But I think it's possible to be honest with people about where you're at, with the hope of an ongoing relationship with them, and still have an ongoing relationship, but in these vulnerable, risk-taking conversations, engage in honest reflection about who you are, where you come from, what your hopes are for that other person. I'm going to put up all six again. I want you to just pause and reflect on these. I don't know if these make sense to you, if it's confusing or what, but I am going to ask you to reflect on it. Um, Starting with sharing the fruit of your faith, what does it mean to just love people? Going down to mission our faith, what does it mean to serve alongside people? To sharing your re- uniqueness and curiosity, having this curious driven conversation where it's, you're not trying to convince them of anything. You're just having a conversation. You're learning from each other. You're seeking understanding. To moving to a place where you're like, you know what? I actually do want some people in my life to know Jesus. To saying, I'm going to tell them that. To saying, there has been space created for me to have a much more difficult conversation where I'm actually hoping that their hearts might change at least a little bit in result of this conversation. I'm going to ask you to just start at one, work your way down. Where would you draw the line? Where would you say, oh, this is getting uncomfortable? Where would you put that line for you? 
There's some in the room, I'm sure they're like, I'm at six. For you, I'd say work backwards. Where would you put that line? Here's my challenge. We're living in this tension as a church where we're saying, hey, we need to do evangelism differently. There's something that's gotten off. It's turned off a lot of people in our community and around, you know, in other places um, based on the, some of the studies we've been talking about. But we're also in this place where we're like, no, but we should still do evangelism. So my challenge for you as we wrestle in this tension of saying maybe we should do it differently, but we should probably still do it. My challenge for you is this. Wherever you drew that line, what if you just went one step further? What would it look like for you to just over the next week take one step further? If you're saying, you know what, I'm willing, I view, the way I view the world, I'm willing to share and talk about the uniqueness of Christianity versus other religions, but I'm not at a place where I'm going to project that on other people. That feels unhealthy to me. If that's where you're at, just say, well, what would it look like for you to want someone else to follow Jesus who currently doesn't want it and to pray for them? Just wrestle with that. Think about that. Wherever you're at, wherever that line is, take it one step further. I'm going to invite our band to uh, come up, or at least uh, for, the, for communion, whoever wants to come up. And uh, we are going to take uh, communion. I just realized that I forgot to get servants for this service. Are there two people that would be willing to come and share communion? Yeah. Uh, Miranda and one other want to come up, help with communion. Don't volunteer all at once. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Come on up. Here at Central City Church, um, it's good to see you. Um, here at Central City Church, if you're new with us, you're, you're, you're welcome to come and share in communion. Um, anyone's welcome, doesn't matter if you're part of our church, member, or whatever. Um, it's really just open to anyone who wants to receive God's goodness and forgiveness or hungry for that. Um, this is the good news. God has given us grace that some mysterious way Christ died on the cross and his body and his blood is giving us new life and it's free. You didn't have to earn it. It's yours and we get to offer it to other people in the way that we love them, in the way that we talk to them, in the way that we wrestle with difficult things. So we invite you to do that. Um, if you guys want to come towards the center, I want to invite you to, to please pray with me. God, we come before you and we're reminded that when your, Jesus, uh, when your son was gathered with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he took the cup and he drank it. He said, this is my body and my blood, broken and shed for you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd fall on these elements of bread and juice, that you'd make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ. We might receive your gift of life. You might feed our souls. So Lord, we come and we pray just as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, you're welcome to come. There's no ushers. You just come forward as you feel led. If you want to take communion, you can. If you don't, um, if you have kids, you're welcome to go get them. Or you can even, they'll be, the, the elements will be available after the service if you want to share it with your, your children. All of those are, are real possibilities. So come as you feel led and just take this time to sit with the Lord and sit with the Spirit as God uh, speaks to you.